0: Page to Practice – Applying Educational Reading in the Classroom Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to episode six of From Page to Practice, the podcast about applying educational reading in the classroom. Before we start today's episode on Teach Like Nobody's Watching, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Firstly, this might sound a bit different, as we've no longer got our lovely soundproof shed in our garden. However, it is much warmer being here in the spare room, so I can't really complain. Hopefully my tech whiz can still make this sound as good as it always used to. The second thing is that the previous episode was the first without having background music throughout. I hope that made it more accessible, and please do let me know if there's anything else I can do. So, today we are looking at Teach Like Nobody's Watching by Mark Enser. Before we hear from him, I'll give you a little taster. In the introduction of the book, Mark notes that teaching is simple, but that doing these simple things well is complex, and that teaching has become overcomplicated. This book is all about how we can overcome these complications and just have the confidence to teach in the ways that we know work. So, without further ado, let's hear from Mark. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag #PagePracticePodcast.
1: Hi, my name is Mark Enser. I'm author of Teach Like Nobody's Watching. I've also written a, uh, another book, uh, Making Every Geography Lesson Count, and I'm a test columnist. But first and foremost, I'm a teacher. I'm head of geography and research lead at Heathfield Community College. And the reason I wanted to write Teach Like Nobody's Watching was because I was really interested in trying to present a teacher's eye view on teaching. We see a lot of education books and some really good ones that are written by people who are now outside of the classroom. They're not teaching four or five lessons day in, day out. And although the ideas might seem very interesting on paper, it's not always clear how they would look in practice. So I wanted to try and give that perspective of what a teacher thought teaching could be. Um, And that was really the theme of the book. I started with a mantra that I've had for some time, which is how could we teach if nobody was watching? What would that look like? Can I just close the door and get on doing my job as I see fit? Um, So I started by thinking about the lesson itself, because I think that's the area where teachers probably have the greatest control still and thinking about all of the advice that we've been given about how we should teach all the things that are dictated to us about what is good practice and what other people think we should be doing in the classroom and then thinking well what if we ignored all that what if we just put that to one side and started again had a kind of year zero and said let's begin from the basics? What actually matters in the classroom? What do we need to do to say that was a good lesson? Um, and I was thinking about how I've taught over the years, things that I've read, a lot of educational research, and just classes that I've been into. I'm very fortunate to get the chance going to go into a lot of different schools and see different teachers teach. And lessons always seem to have the same kind of process is going on um, if teachers were just allowed to get on with their jobs. So they'd start with some kind of recap. And I think um, last lesson we is a bit like a teacher's once upon time. And you see, you know, last lesson we did this. Let's just remember, let's just recap, let's just go back over. This is where we got to. So the first kind of chapter of the book looks at recap and the role that recap plays, not just in kind of retrieval quizzes and things, but also looking at how recap helps us to develop our schema. Uh, kind of web of knowledge about a topic and why that's important and how it might look in practice and then the second part that you see kind of in any lesson where teachers just allow to get on and teach is input and teachers teaching, telling people things explaining things, trying to impart some kind of knowledge or understanding or demonstrating something for they'd like their pupils to be able to do So I was looking at, again, kind of what is the research on how to explain things carefully and explain things well and give different forms of input. What would that look like if we were just allowed to get on? Um, And then the next part of any lesson is some kind of application. You know, people have been told how to do something, given some input, given some information, and pupils need a chance to practice with it. So the next part kind of looks at what uh, that could look like and, again, kind of strips away some of the ideas of what we've been told applications look like in the past with lots of kind of busy work, um, things where pupils are clearly doing, kind of engaging activities, which may have a place, uh, but my classroom often won't because we want to focus on other things. And then finally looking at feedback. So the kind of last chapter in the first part, the kind of last part of any lesson really it is some kind of feedback on how pupils did, you know, did, did it work? Did they learn the things we wanted them to learn? How can we know if they've learned what we wanted them to learn? And then how do we give them feedback on that in a meaningful way? And is there an alternative to just taking home piles and piles of books every weekend and carting them home and leaving them in the hallway and taking them back in the next week and looked at with that strange kind of feeling of guilt? Is there something else we could do? So that part goes on to look at, you know, what effective feedback may may look like. So that's kind of the first part of the book, looking at the lesson. The second part goes on to look at the curriculum. Because, again, teachers have a huge amount of power over what is actually taught in schools, far more so than we sometimes give ourselves credit for, even if we've been given a scheme of work, a programme of study, either from a a multi-academy trust or from a head of department or, you know, something that feels imposed on us, how we deliver it, what we choose to focus on, what we highlight, what we spend more time on is usually down to us in the classroom. So I wanted to kind of take quite a long look at some issues around curriculum, putting together a programme of study, looking at the super curriculum, role of homework, role of fieldwork, issues like that. Um, and again, kind of a teacher's perspective on curriculum. And then the last part of the book's the shortest one, really, because... It's looking at issues of whole school leadership and I'm, I'm not a, a kind of senior leader, I'm a, I'm a middle leader um, and I wanted to make sure that I had the perspective of senior leaders in there who have tried to put some of these ideas into place in their schools, who've encouraged teachers to teach like nobody's watching, who've enabled that to happen and made this all possible. So the last part really looks at how school leaders can support teachers to teach like nobody's watching with some case studies from a range of some you know really um, interesting uh, senior leaders from a range of different schools giving their views so got people like steve adcock from united learning in there or kate obridge and tom angus uh, from a primary school in crowborough um, wife zoe ensa uh, she's in there as well as a senior leader talking about cpd um, so all these kind of experts in their field with the, with their experience of school leadership talking about how school leaders can allow all of this to happen. So that's kind of the book, really, um, how we can teach like nobody's watching. Um, hopefully, if you've had the chance to read it, you found it useful. Um, always ke- keen for feedback and to know what people have done with the book, whether they've found those things they've been able to put into place. If there's things they haven't, be interesting to know why. Um, and I'd love to hear people's thoughts. thank you very much for this opportunity to talk about it.
0: Thank you, Mark, for that really useful overview, which hopefully tells everyone a bit about what the book is about, but without giving too much away. Now we're going to hear from the readers about their key takeaways from the book. First, we'll hear from Rachel Ball, who's returning to the podcast. Then a new voice from Morgan Price. And finally, another returning voice, Martine Island. Remember, if you'd like to contribute to any later episodes, you just need to tweet at hashtag page practice podcast. DM me on Twitter at BexN91 or fill in the form at learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag page practice podcast.
2: Hi. My name's Rachel Ball. I'm assistant principal in charge of teaching and learning at a large secondary academy in Salford. I've been teaching for over 18 years. My main subject is history, but I'm lucky enough to spend lots of time in lots of different subjects around school, which I find fascinating. You can find me on Twitter at MrsBallAP. Teach Like Nobody's Watching cropped up on my Twitter timeline as I follow the author Mark Enzer, and I highly respect his work and avidly read his blog. The book really appealed to me because its premise is all about getting back to what really works in the classroom and losing the gimmicks. It really fits in with my own personal and my academy's ethos of evidence-based practice and not jumping through hoops to produce a certain type of lesson just because you think that's what observers are looking for. Mark talks about teacher efficiency and about how we should spend time doing what really makes a difference. Um, you know what we should what we do when nobody's watching because we know it works and I love this quote um, from Daniel Muges that he talks about in saying that when we try and teach like somebody's watching we're trying to eat soup with a fork it's inefficient the book is split into three core elements the lesson curriculum and wider school and I can honestly talk for hours about points I took away but here are just a few The lesson section really spoke to me as the lead for teaching and learning in school. I particularly like the emphasis on the importance of subject knowledge and the explanation part of the lesson and the impact that that then has on lesson planning. So he talks, for example, about the benefits of having notes and having a script where needed. This is advice that I often give to NQTs and trainees as part of my role, but it was interesting to read justifications about the way it should have a place in all teachers' arsenal, as Mark calls it. I like the way that Mark revisited this importance of subject knowledge and how important its development is later on in the book. And this is something we've just implemented at school. We have an appraisal target for curriculum development through development of subject knowledge and we give bespoke time to subject knowledge development in CPD time. We're also having a really big focus on retrieval this year, so this section of the book I also thought was really interesting and helpful. Mark explains the research this is based on really clearly, such as the work of cognitive scientists like Bjork and Sweller, and gives easy-to-follow steps for practical application in the classroom. Ideas like just a minute, quizzes, connect four and one which I've recently tried myself for the first time, which is using Cornell notes in lessons, and that worked really, really well. I also really like that throughout the book, Mark poses questions, which could be obstacles or challenges to this practice, things that you might hear colleagues say, and then give some advice about how to respond. In addition, as a school which has just moved away from written feedback to a verbal and whole class feedback approach, the chapter on feedback was also great to read, confirming the research and the benefits to teacher effectiveness. For example, not writing the same comments in books repeatedly, but stopping when you've read those books and re-teaching the misconceptions instead. Mark calls the old process of marking the marking madness, And suggest some really detailed practical ways that you can feed back to the whole class more effectively this is something we're really working on as a school so there are some great examples there i really like the challenge at the end of the book to throw away the fork that we talked about earlier and grab your own spoon it's about the challenge of learning what the evidence says really makes the difference and adapting it to work for your subject and your context and then just teaching like nobody's watching you or judging you. I would highly recommend this book for any teacher or school leader, and I learnt a huge amount by reading it.
0: Thanks, Rachel. Rachel's picked some really interesting points from the book, and it's great to hear about that subject knowledge focus that her school has. And hopefully Rachel's contribution there has whet your appetite with a number of strategies that you'll need to read the book to fully understand. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast.
3: Hi, I'm Morgan. I'm a French teacher in a secondary school in London. I currently also co-lead on teaching and learning. Uh, I tweet from at Monsieur P. French on Twitter. The title of this book, and Teach Like Nobody's Watching refers to the idea of giving up charades that um, teachers might feel they have to put on for the purposes of observations uh, and accountability measures. It's against the idea of creating evidence just because you know that somebody's going to look at it. In fact, in the intro and periodically throughout, the author Mark Enser mentions fads. Um, Things like learning styles, bookmarking, the teacher not talking, differentiated learning objectives, and really cathartically bulldozes them all. Um, Perhaps more interestingly, though, he talks about how these these often have their origins in uh, really well-principled ideas that often just have their effectiveness entirely negated uh, by being made uh, non-negotiable as part of teaching and learning or assessment policies. Um, Mark says, and uh, I really like this phrase, that making something a non-negotiable is the quickest way of killing off a good idea. Um, but this book isn't just about being anti-things. Um, it's also about making the most of your time and energy when it comes to your teaching. The tone of this book is really refreshingly down-to-earth and readable. And it's a real breath of fresh air to read something that recognises the complexity in everyday teaching. Um, because this isn't a very dogmatic book. For example, it problematises some ideas that have become recent uh, teaching and learning staples. The idea, for example, of having no hands up, Uh, Mark suggests that actually there are some situations in which you might choose to have hands up and not making it too much of a hard and fast rule that you should have no hands up all the time. One of my big takeaways from the book um, was the idea of schemas. Uh, This refers to the organisation of knowledge uh, that you teach students. It refers to the slow development of that really big picture, the web of knowledge, uh, Mark calls it, about a particular topic or subject, which is fed by teaching and then strengthened by recap. Um, Mark says that the develop scheme is what separates experts from novices. Uh, I picture it in my head as a kind of molecular structure or mind map of all the different bits of knowledge that students have picked up, with the links between them, some of them being stronger than others, getting weaker and stronger as time goes on. Thinking about my own subject uh, in MFL, we get these links coming up all the time with recurring words, high-frequency structures, phrases, pieces of grammar. But seeing as a schema like this uh, really encourages the idea that you make links, also make students make the links between old and new topics, uh, rather than, for example, conceptualising that knowledge as uh, just a list of words or facts that you might get, for example, on a topic-by-topic knowledge organiser. The uh, chapter that made me re-examine my my own teaching the most was the one on feedback. It actually had me kicking myself with frustration at recognising myself doing the bad habits uh, that Mark talks about, but also simultaneously feeling really enthusiastic to try out his very back-to-basics approach. The idea is to move past the idea of seeing marking as, for example, just proof that you've marked a book, and there's a real interrogation of what the main aim of feedback is, uh, Marx as its self-regulation, which I f- find really interesting. My main frustration with feedback is that there's a constant tension between over-correction and under-scaffolding. You don't want to overcorrect students because that then takes the work away from them, but simultaneously if you don't point them in the right direction, they won't know how to make it right in the future. Uh, this book kind of reframes this, taking the emphasis away from correcting a single piece of work and saying that the aim of feedback is not Improving that piece of work, but instead improving the learner, uh, which seems so intuitively self-evident, um, and yet is clearly not the approach that I've been taking, and nor the approach that actually is found in a lot of school assessment policies. And it sums up with um, with clarity quite a lot of the frustrations that that we might have with feedback. Um, for example, whether feedback is specific to a particular task, or whether it can be applicable to future tasks. That's a really wonderfully clear sequence. Uh, on pages 82 and 83 if you've got the book, on how to go about feedback over the course for a few lessons and integrate it into the retrieval practice routine that he talks about towards the beginning of the book. From this I can see myself reducing the amount of active correction and annotation I'm doing on pupils' work, freeing up that time rather to build up a repertoire that I add to over the course of the year of all the common mistakes, misconceptions that I'll test pupils on periodically to make sure that they really got it. Because as Mark says, the aim of feedback should be improving the learner and not the work. There's also some interesting ideas about rank order marking, in which you put students' work from the best to the worst, giving everyone a better idea of how each pupil is doing relative to the others. i would be really interested to see how this works in practice. Um, It runs contrary to the way a lot of schools run, so i would be interested to see if this has been put into place in any schools. Um, And if I have one reservation about this book, and it does get addressed throughout, it's that I am perhaps slightly less optimistic uh, than the author about whether a lot of the practices he talks about, and especially the ones to do with feedback, are possible for teachers who work in schools with more specific and detailed uh, teaching and learning or marking policies. However, hopefully, with more sensible approaches like the ones he advocates, those kinds of policies uh, will slowly die out. Overall, it's a really powerful book and approaches like these, I think, could really do a lot to address the workload crisis. I wish I'd had this as a trainee, as an NQT. Um, I might be speaking for myself, but I imagine for a lot of others, when I say that a lot of practices that are taught to early career teachers are assumed very uncritically and are often quite contradictory. Um, Even when they're good ideas, they're ones that we take on without really the view as to how to use them properly or what the principle behind them is. We're just told that, That's what you should do. This book provides a real no-nonsense approach to teaching that I think will resonate with early career teachers, and it's a real breath of fresh air to read.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. It was great to hear from Morgan there, who read the book especially to contribute to this podcast. What dedication. Um... Morgan refers to fads um, that Mark mentions in the book and this is something I also uh, really picked up on as I often worry about how some really good ideas end up becoming fads because they were originally good thinking but start being applied too much or in the wrong ways. I also like the way uh, Morgan refers to schemas and viewing these as kind of a molecular structure and making links between them. I agree it's really important and that in MFL we do do this, but I guess it is something we could make a little more explicit.
4: Hi, my name's Martine. I'm an English teacher in a secondary school in Cheshire. I read Teach Like Nobody's Watching recently um, and I really enjoyed it and it's given me lots of ideas um, and encouragement with things to um, improve my own practice. I particularly liked its emphasis on subject knowledge knowledge and the importance of teacher talk and the idea of pinning that to storytelling, which I think as an English teacher is something that I naturally would do anyway. Um, The the idea of the focus on department meetings I really liked in the book and the idea that we can use department meetings for so much more than admin time um, and the idea of using that time to create a common culture, to take control of our practice, to be able to spend time thinking about curriculum and lesson planning um and it actually a few of us um recently sort of tried to persuade SLT to give us more department time to allow us to do these things, which we've now got. So that's had a really big impact on the kind of things that we can do in the department. Um another thing that I really liked in the book was the idea of differentiation and because it sort of reflected the way that I would naturally differentiate in my classroom. I can remember loads of times over my teaching career being encouraged to, you know, provide different worksheets, provide choice of task, provide different learning styles. And I've always sort of felt that that isn't the best way to approach it in my classroom and that I would naturally do more differentiation by outcome, much more subtle support. Um, And the book kind of confirmed that um, which was really helpful for me. There's a quote in the book that talks about, um, if we differentiate the way that is put across in the book that we meet the actual needs of the pupils in our classroom rather than trying to make the support obvious to an outside observer, which I really liked because it did really sum up the worries that I have sometimes about what we're encouraged to do and why you know, why are we doing it? Are we doing that form of differentiation because it's the best thing for the child? Same with, you know, things like PP intervention or are we doing something to make it obvious enough to someone that's looking? Whereas it might be that the more subtle and nuanced approaches that I would naturally incline towards are far more helpful for, you know, my kids in my classroom. So it was a really good kind of confidence boost for that really. Um, that's kind of the underlying message that I got from the book. It was a real confidence boost for what I would naturally instinctively do. And, you know, we know that things like giving teachers agency, giving teachers control, giving them confidence in their own practice have a much greater impact on well-being than things like cake and yoga sessions. You know, it is the idea of giving confidence in what we would naturally do that I really liked so much about the book. And I can see that it'll be one that I return to again and again if I ever need that boost Um, and that kind of, that affirmation that, yeah, I know my kids, I know what works, and that's more important than perhaps hoops I'm being asked to jump through and things I'm being asked to demonstrate for another purpose.
0: And thanks again to Martine for her contribution where she picked up on teacher talk talk about storytelling um, as well as mark's points about how to best use departmental meeting time martine also talked about differentiation and how that's important topic um, but how it can be done differently and i liked her concluding comment that that this book is about giving us confidence in what we would naturally do rather than jumping through hoops you're listening to from page to practice Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. So for my concluding thoughts, I was particularly interested in the curriculum chapter, especially the part on threshold concepts. I've been thinking a lot recently about what these might be for Key Stage 3 Spanish. Um, And as Mark says, we can then introduce them really early on and make sure that they're repeated often. Finally, the term the super curriculum seems to have passed me by completely, so that chapter was also an interesting read. Overall, I think it's a really good good book, and the concept of teaching like nobody's watching, as opposed to everyone is watching, is a really useful one to consider. As the other readers have said, I'd highly recommend it, so thank you so much to Mark, Rachel, Morgan, and Martine. Finally, a really big thanks to Crown House Publishing for sending me a copy of this book so that I could feature it on the podcast. I'm also looking forward to featuring the Making Every Lesson Count series in the new year, Um, and Mark wrote the geography version of this book. Again, thanks to the generosity of Crown House, I actually have a spare copy of the original book and a spare of the MFL version that I plan to give away to two podcast listeners, so do keep an eye out for that. As per usual, I couldn't do this podcast without the contributions from other teachers, so thank you so much. The next episode is on Making It As A Teacher by Victoria Hewitt, and then we'll take a little break for Christmas and come back in early January with The Science of Learning. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article, or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk Forward slash page practice podcast thanks go to kevin mcleod of incomptech.com for use of the tracks cheery monday and fuzzball parade
2: which are licensed under creative commons